Chapter Two of Jacob's Ladder by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The melancholy man was seated in his favorite corner, gazing out at the landscape. He scarcely looked up as Jacob entered. It chanced that they were alone. Richard Dauncey, Jacob said impressively, as soon as the train had started again, you once sat in that corner and smiled at me when I got in. I think you also wished me good morning and admired my rose. It was two years ago, Dauncey assented. Did you ever hear of a man, Jacob went on, who made his fortune with a smile? Of course not. You are probably the first. Look at me steadfastly. This is to be a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Why do you go about looking as though you are the most miserable creature on God's earth? Richard Dauncey sighed. You needn't rub it in. My appearance is against me in business and in every way. I can't help it. I have troubles. They are at an end, Jacob declared. Don't jump out of the window or do anything ridiculous, my friend, but sit still and listen. You have been starving with a wife and two children on three pounds a week. Your salary from today is ten pounds a week with expenses. Dauncey shook his head. You are not well this morning, man. Jacob produced the letters and handed them over to his friend, who read them with many exclamations of wonder. When he returned them, there was a little flush in his face. "'I congratulate you, Jacob,' he said heartily. "'You are one of those men who have the knack of keeping a stiff upper lip. But I know what you have suffered.' "'Congratulate yourself, too, old chap,' Jacob enjoined, holding out his hand. Exactly what I'm going to do in the future, I haven't quite made up my mind. But this I do know. We start a fresh life from lunchtime today, you and I. You can call yourself my secretary, for want of a better description, until we settle down. Your screw will be ten pounds a week, and if you refuse the hundred pounds I'm going to offer you at our luncheon table at Simpson's today, I shall knock you down. Dauncey apologized shamefacedly. A few minutes later, for a brief period of rare weakness. "'It's the wife, old chap,' he explained, as they drew near the terminus. "'You see, I married a little above my station, but there was never any money, and the two kids came, and there didn't seem enough to clothe them properly or feed them properly, or put even a trifle by in case anything should happen to me. Life's been pretty hard, Jacob, and I can't make friends. Or rather, I've never been able to, until you came along.' The two shook hands once more, a queer but very human proceeding in those overwrought moments. "'Just you walk to the office this morning,' Jacob said, with your head in the air, and keep on telling yourself there's no mistake about it. You're going home tonight with a hundred pounds in banknotes in your pocket, with a bottle of wine under one arm and a brown paper parcel as big as you can carry under the other. You're out of the wood, young fellow, and you'd be thankful for the rest of your life that you found a way to smile one morning. So long till one o'clock at Simpson's, he added, as they stepped out to the platform. Hi, taxi. Mr. Biltiwell came hurrying along, with a good deal less than his usual dignity. He was not one of those men who were intended by nature to proceed at any other than a leisurely pace. Pratt, he called out, wait a minute. We'll share that taxi, huh? Jacob glanced over his shoulder. Sorry, he answered. I'm not going your way. Soon after the opening of that august establishment, Jacob, not without some trepidation, visited the Bank of England. 
At half-past ten, he strolled into the warehouse of Messrs. Smith and Joyce, leather merchants, Bermondsey Street, the firm for which he had been working during the last two years. Mr. Smith frowned at him from behind a stack of leather. "'You're late this morning, Pratt,' he growled. "'I thought perhaps you had gone over to see that man at Tottingham.' "'The man at Tottingham?' Jacob remarked equably. "'Can go to hell.' Mr. Smith was a short, thin man, with a cynical expression, a bloodless face, and a loveless heart. He opened his mouth a little, a habit of his, when surprised. "'I suppose it's too early in the morning to suggest that you have been drinking,' he said. "'You are right,' Jacob acknowledged. "'A little later in the day I shall be able to satisfy everybody in that respect.' Mr. Smith came out from behind the stack of leather. He was wearing a linen smock over his clothes and paper protectors over his cuffs. "'I don't think you're quite yourself this morning, Pratt,' he observed acidly. "'I am not,' Jacob answered. "'I have had good news.' Mr. Smith was a far-seeing man with a brain which worked quickly. He remembered in a moment the cause of Jacob's failure. Oil might be found at any time. "'I'm very glad to hear it, Pratt,' he said. "'Would you like to come into the office and have a little chat?' Jacob looked his employer squarely in the face. "'Never so long as I live,' he replied. "'Just a few words I want to say to you, Mr. Smith, can be said here. "'You gave me a job when I was down and out. "'You gave it to me, not out of pity, "'but because you knew I was a damned good traveler. "'I trudged the streets for you, "'ridden in tram-cars, buses, and tubes, "'sold your leather honestly and carefully for two years. "'I've doubled your turnover. "'I've introduced you to the soundest connection "'you ever had on your books.' Each Christmas a clerk in the counting-house handed me an extra sovereign, to buy sweets with, I suppose. You never raised my salary, you never uttered a word of thanks. I've brought you in three of the biggest contracts you ever had in your life, and you accepted them with grudging satisfaction, pretended they didn't pay you, forgot that I knew what you gave for every ton of your leather that passed through my hands. You've been a cold, calculating, and selfish employer. You'll never be a rich man because you haven't the imagination, and you'll never be a poor one because you're too stingy, and now you can go on with your rotten little business and find another traveler, for I've finished with you. You can't leave without a week's notice, Mr. Smith snapped. Sue me then, Jacob retorted as he turned away. Put me in the county court. I shall have the best part of a million to pay the damages with. Good morning to you, Mr. Smith, and I thank Providence that never again in this life have I got to cross the threshold of your warehouse? Jacob passed out into the street, whistling lightly. He was beginning to feel himself. Half an hour later, seated in the most comfortable easy chair in Mr. Pedler's private office, a sanctum into which he had never before been asked to penetrate, Jacob discussed the flavor of a fine Havana cigar and issued his instructions for the payment of his debts in full. Mr. Stephen Pedler, a suave, shrewd man of much versatility, congratulated himself that he had, at all times during his connection with Jacob, treated this erstwhile insignificant defaulter with the courtesy which at least had cost him nothing. "'Most interesting position yours, Pratt,' the man of figures declared, loitering a little over the final details. "'I should like to talk it over with you sometime. What about a little lunch up in the West End today?' Jacob shook his head. "'I'm lunching with a friend,' he said. "'Thank you very much, all the same.' "'Some other time, then,' Mr. Pedler continued. 
Have you made any plans at all for the future? None as yet worth speaking of. You are a young man, the accountant continued. You must have occupation. If the advice of a man of the world is worth having, count me at your disposal. I am very much obliged, Jacob acknowledged. I can be considered wholly impartial, Mr. Pedler went on, because I have no direct interest in whatever you may choose to do with your money. But my advice to you, Mr. Pratt, would be to buy a partnership in one of the leading firms engaged in the industry with which you have been associated. I see, Jacob reflected. Go into business again, on a larger scale? Exactly, the accountant assented. Only go into an established business with a partner, where you are not too much tied down. You'll want to enjoy yourself and see a little of the world now. A bungalow down the river for the summer, huh? A Rolls-Royce, of course, and a month or so on the Riviera in the winter. Plenty of ways of getting something out of life, Mr. Pratt, if only one has the means. Jacob drew a deep sigh and murmured something non-committal. My advice to you, his mentor continued, would be to enjoy yourself, get value for your money, but don't give up work altogether. With the capital at your command, you could secure an interest in one of the leading firms in the trade. Were you thinking of anyone in particular? Jacob asked quietly. Mr. Pedler hesitated. To tell you the truth, Mr. Pratt, he admitted candidly, I was. I know of a firm at the present moment, one of the oldest and most respected in the trade. I might almost say the most prominent firm, who would be disposed to admit into partnership a person of your standing and capital. You don't by any chance mean Biltowell's? The accountant's manner became more earnest. He had the air of one who released a great secret. Don't mention it, Pratt, whatever you do, he begged. Mr. Biltywell would probably be besieged by applications from people who would be quite useless to him. I shall not tell a soul, Jacob promised. You see, his companion went on, watching the ash of his cigar for a moment. The Mortimers and the Craigs have both come to an end so far as regards participation in the business. Colonel Craig was killed playing polo in India and had no sons. And old Mortimer, too, had only one son who went into the diplomatic service. That leaves Mr. Biltowell the sole representative of the firm. And though he has, you know, great dislike for new associations, it is certainly too much responsibility for one man. The Mortimer and Craig interest have to be paid out, I suppose, Jacob inquired. To a certain extent, yes, Mr. Pedler admitted. That is where the opportunity for new capital comes in. I have made no plans yet, Jacob declared, rising to take his leave. If you'd like to place the figures before me within the course of the next week or so, with the suggested terms, I might consider the matter, that is, if I decide to go into business at all. I can't conceive a more comfortable position for a young man with your knowledge of the trade, Mr. Pedler said, as he wished his guest good morning. You shall have all the figures placed before you. Good morning, and once more, my heartiest congratulations, Mr. Pratt. End of chapter 2